Hello, this is Scott Morey with GPG Advisors, and this is another podcast in the RE Insight series. We are very fortunate today to have two individuals joining us, Susan Overton and Mary Lou Fiala. Um, and want to thank you both before we sort of kick off here in a few minutes, but let me do a brief introduction. For those that don't know Mary Lou, who sits on number of boards and has a rich history in real estate and in retail. Uh, she currently sits on the Regency Board. If I go back over time, she was the former Chief Operating Officer uh, of Regency from January 99 until December of 2009. She also served as President from January 99 to February 2009 and then later as Vice Chairman until December of 2009. Um, prior to that, actually, she's got a history with Security Capital and was a managing director there with the U.S. Realty Strategic Group from 97 to 99. And then prior to that was at Macy's East Federated Department Stores for a number of years, which we will get into. Um, she also sits on the board of General Growth Properties and is active on some other boards and was a former uh, board member also of Build a Bear. So Mary Lou, thank you for joining us. The other guest is Susan Overton. Susan is a partner and Managing Director at Merlone Geyer Partners, the West Coast retail-specific um, firm. They have 100-plus properties, about 15 million square feet. I believe Susan's been there for just over six years. Prior to that, she was at Verde and then earlier on at Kimco. Um, and so anyway, I want to thank you again both for coming. We're going to talk more about your relationship uh, as part of this podcast. And uh, I think we can start now with the first question. Thank you, Scott. So, thank you. so Mary Lou, I, thank you. I wanted to start, Mary Lou, with you. And for those that haven't listened, I have to do a plug for the podcast you did a few years back with Jimmy Gold, which I thought was amazing. It was really inspirational, actually, in learning about your upbringing and your family and the decisions you made and, and um, the choices you made and why you made those choices. But where I wanted to start was a little bit of leapfrogging and ask a question around the, the importance of your family as you were growing up, sort of pre-college, and, and the role that family played in your life. It would be great if you could expand on that. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I, came, I was brought up in a small town of Sandusky, Ohio, where it's about 23,000 people. Um, some of the significant things that I guess I would like to share is I had an extremely strong mother and her IQ was in the 150s and while she didn't go to college, she was probably the brightest person that I've ever met. Uh, the other key influence was really my dad's side of the family. Uh, my grandfather during World War II built an apartment building with six units in it and my grandmother had a uh, Four, three of her four sons serving in World War II. And one of the things that I have are all the letters that my father wrote my grandmother during that time. And the one thing that he said, because they were factory workers, that to my grandfather was that he realized by meeting these people overseas that the only way to become a rich man was to start your own business. And so when he returned from the war, um, all of us, the whole family, all the cousins all lived in this apartment building, but my dad, his father, and uh, brothers all started a meat purveying company. And in the 1960s, it was, you know, doing two, three million dollars of business, which was pretty significant back then. So I would say my motivation really stemmed from a very strong mother, um, private Catholic school, going to Mass every day, and good values, and my dad's side of the family kind of setting the tone. Now, you, you told a story before as well about seventh grade, and it was, I, I want to say career day. I don't think it was defined it was that way. It was career day, and, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I know they, at that period of time, which is shocking actually, but it's not, and we're going to talk about that later, they would take the men and the women, the young, young boys and young girls, and separate them. And, of course, different people would present. If my memory's right, when you went through that, there were three people that came in. There was a flight attendant, a teacher, and a buyer. And you went through, which is amazing, actually, at least what I've heard before. You went through the logic of, well, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to do that. 
And I think at that point in time, you'd express interest in being a buyer. Now, if I jump forward, which I'm going to, you went to college in Ohio, actually, and it was Miami University, and you studied retailing, which I thought was fascinating, actually, because it's going to lead into what you go next. So the question I have is about sort of over that time frame and going through high school about how you made a decision at that point in time uh, to get a degree in retailing. Obviously, I don't think it was by chance you then ended up in retailing afterwards, but I'd love to dive deeper into that and better understand your thought process. Well, um, one thing that I did say in the, uh, making a choice of which way it wasn't that sophisticated is that um, I didn't want to be a teacher, as you said. I really wanted to be a flight attendant, but I was too short. So yeah. I really had no other <laughs> choice but to go into retailing and be a buyer, and it sounded exciting. Um, and it wasn't just a straight path. I mean, that's what I decided I was going to do. And so my next step through high school was just getting good enough grades to get into college and get into a good college with a good retailing school. And that's what I focused on during that time period. Um, I don't know that there was, um, you know, when I got into it, I absolutely loved it. At one point in time in college, I kind of got diverted because I was married and had a daughter while I was in college and our oldest daughter, and I felt that, oh, maybe I should just go in and be a teacher and because that fits more with a family and lifestyle. And I went into education and honestly did not like it, nor did I get great grades. So I went back into business, back into retailing, and that's where my passion was and stayed there for uh, pretty much my whole career. And, and what did a, a degree um, in retailing mean then? Like what did you walk away with and you know, what did you learn in that time frame? Well, I had a Bachelor of Science, so I really learned kind of a variety of things. Again, it kind of goes back to the era that I went to school. So if you had a retailing degree, not only did you have business courses, but you actually had home ec courses and learned how to tailor and learned how to sew. And so I had a lot of creative kind of courses that um, I went through. And I also wanted a minor in marketing because I felt whatever I was going to do, that would be something that would add a lot of value, and it has. So I, it was kind of a double major, and um, it was different back then. You know, it wasn't strictly business and statistics and finance, although I did take a lot of that. Got you. So let me, let me jump over to, to Susan's for a second, because you just triggered something I thought might be interesting. And we're, I want to talk more in a little bit, Susan, about your upbringing and your influence family and your mom had you within that time frame, but you went to Northeastern University, and this is interesting to me, maybe or maybe not, as a dual major as well in marketing and MIS. And I'm curious about, did your mom's dual major influence your dual major, or was it a different thought process? You know, in, um, in high school, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I, I honestly had no idea. <laughs> And um, and was more focused on on getting into the right school and getting a, a soccer scholarship, uh, but but knew that picking a major was important. And so I think looking back, you know, certainly my mother, I mean, we discussed everything with each other. We've always been very open. Uh, certainly encouraged me to to have marketing as as part of um, a major. Because whatever you end up doing, you know, you need to, you know, understand how to, to, to sell myself or the product or the company. And, and so that was a, an easy decision. And, and on the MIS, technology was something that was up and coming and, and I actually had interest in. And, um, and so decided to combine both of those uh, and, and hopefully I'd be able to use them in, in whatever career path I had decided. And, and also, I minored in psychology, which actually seems to be the most useful <laughs> in, in my career for obvious reasons. So. Especially in real estate. <laughs> exactly. We could go on for that one a while, actually, I think. So, now, you both, I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit, but I'm, I'm hoping because it's interesting. I know before the call you were talking about how you're both 
competitive, which is not surprising at all. And it's coming across again, and I did follow, by the way, Susan, you were semi-pro, actually, in soccer, I think, for four years. That way you are going through university, I think, if my memory is correct, in Division One track, and um, both of you, and then as I go through your mother's, Mary Lee, I go through your background, which I think is just unbelievable. Uh, it makes me feel inadequate, but I'll get over that in general, I think. But talk about, you know, on both sides, actually, about how that got instilled with you. So obviously Mary Lou and growing up and, and again, going back to the Jimmy Gould uh, podcast, he talks about, you talk about both parents, certainly your mother, I think, but I think both parents actually getting their airplane licenses before they got cars and the background. And it's just fascinating. But, and I, and I know you had a couple big decision points over time as we all do Mary Lou, where you make a decision of which way to go. And um, you've had this resolve and commitment uh, to continually move forward. And I don't want to call it, because sometimes people take competitive as a negative connotation, but definitely a drive, actually, on your side, Mary Lou, in, in, in what you've done. But can you talk about the source of that and kind of where that comes from? It's actually really funny, because I got most of the competitiveness from my mom. Literally, when we were three and four years old, she had pinochle boards set up for us and we would play cards and she would not let us win. So we, anytime we won anything, whether it was a board game, card game, playing outside, baseball, whatever, we were absolutely, you had to be the best. So I would say the underlying thing was that my parents gave me was that they really didn't care what I did. They didn't have a lot of expectations in terms of I should stay at home and be a mom, I should have a career. They just wanted me to be happy. But their criteria was do the, you know, get an A in effort, get an A in conduct. And if you're doing that, that's all we can expect from you. So I think some of it was more not so much that I was competitive with other people, but I was just had to be my best. That's just the way it was. Don't do anything if you're not going to do it well. Um, and that's a mother and that's a wife and that's, um, you know, at, in your career and your jobs. So that's where my competitive came from. And, and I have been told I'm somewhat competitive. And, but to me, it's just the way it is, just fun. So, Susan, I'm, I'm guessing your mother did not let you win any board games either, but I, I have to ask. <laughs> well, uh, well, you know, I, I actually had the benefit of, of being able to um, play games with my grandmother as well. And so I think I was actually double teamed between my mother and my grandmother in any game that we played. Uh, but, but joking aside, you know, I think just our family – and obviously it's over generations, it just has this natural drive that we're all born with. And, and to my mom's point, if you're going to do something, you know, why not you know, give it your best? And, and otherwise, we kind of have a saying in our family, why, why would you do it if you're not going to you know, give it 100%? And, and it's just that's what's been instilled in our family uh, since day one. And, and, and also in regards to the competitive nature, I'm, I'm pretty convinced we were born born this way because I have a three-year-old who, uh, you know, we have not taught her how to be competitive in any way, and yet if she's, you know, racing or, or doing anything where it's against another child, she must win <laughs> at all odds and, and gives it her all. So I'm, I'm now realizing that I think some of it is just uh, in our genes. I think the one well, thing that Susan had that I didn't have was sports because when I grew up, girls didn't mm-hmm. play sports. And Susan was able to get so much of that out, plus the team player and having both of that, you know, being part of a team and winning. And Susan, when she would get in the soccer field, she would literally forget that she had a human body and she wasn't afraid of anything. She just went for it. And it was, it was fun. It was fun. So let, me, let me talk about another theme. And I'm going to start, actually, Mary Lou, with something you said. Uh, again, I'm referring to the Jimmy Gould thing, but, which people should listen to. But you, you talked about actually having a fear of public speaking, and you shared a story about when you were going to teach a training class, I believe, at Macy's, mm-hmm. and about the fear you had in that class. And 
in your head before you said it isn't about me, it's about them, and that provides sort of a grounding, calming influence to what you did. And of course, you tell the story about the compliments, which you got some amazing compliments post that yeah. initial so class. What happened uh, is is that I taught um, you know incoming trainees all the time, and there'd be a room of twenty, thirty um, young adults, and I would give a presentation. I had my notes. And it was, you know, prepared, et cetera. And, and I, I did okay, but I was always nervous before I did it. Um, one day, I completely did not put it on my calendar, and I was working in my office, and I got a call from Human Resources saying, your class is up here uh, to be taught. And I didn't have my notes with me or anything. They were all somewhere else. So I remember th- if I could have lied, stolen, cheated, I would have absolutely done whatever I could to get out of it, but there was no way to get out of it. So I am joking about that. I went, so I went to, um, up to the class, and honestly, and I was 40, and uh, I was speaking to this class, and my voice was a little quivery, and I did. In my own head, I was like, why do you keep thinking of yourself? This is about them. And then I just started talking. And afterwards, this young woman came up to me. She goes, you are such an incredible speaker. I hope someday to be like you. And it was a real growth and learning point for me because she had no idea. I was scared to death. And, but I let go, and I didn't think about myself. And I, I do think that's something we can all learn is spend your time thinking about what, who you're teaching, who you're giving to, who you're training, all those things as opposed to what does it mean to you. And um, it frees you. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible, powerful phrase. And I know that story you're telling now goes back a few years in your career, but I know in a multiple of instances as we met over or dinners and other stuff, how you shared the things that you've done and um, how you've helped others in a variety of ways. And that's why I see sort of another theme between you and your daughter, Susan, because I look, Susan, about some of the stuff that you've done related to you deserve to learn and college is real and uh, those types of aspects. And it seems like that trait, again, we're talking about competitiveness is one trait, but another trait about serving others and about how that uh, helps us as individuals, right, by, by helping others, really, and the change it makes in our disposition and perhaps how we look at ourselves is incredibly powerful. But, Susan, I'd love for you to share kind of that same thing but about you and if you want to expand on You Deserve to Learn and College is Real, which I think are great programs, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it again, growing up and and. It seems like a consistent theme, but I guess this is what you get when you have a mother and daughter talking <laughs> about <laughs> growing up in life. Uh, exactly. But in any place that we lived, it, it, there was one consistent theme that we were here to give back. And, and so it was just a normal part of our life. And so I recall, you know, help rebuilding homes after hurricanes, uh, giving food to to folks who needed it, and um, and and you know, and it ended up being a family event where we all did it together, and and luckily we all got along, and so it ended up being fun each time, and then you ended up feeling good that you were making someone else's life better, and um, and so I remember uh, it was earlier in my career, kind of in the mid two thousands, when I was at Kimco. I had uh, moved up and in, in received a promotion and moved from New York to San Francisco and did not know anyone. And, and this was a perfect opportunity to, to give back. And so I happened to run into a gentleman named Brad Blake, who's also in the real estate industry and the co-founder of College is Real, and he had just started this mentoring program with a goal to get 16 high school students uh, in, in Richmond, high, uh, Richmond High School in California uh, to attend college. And the kids needed mentors, and I immediately raised my hand and said, this is perfect. 
and enjoying the program and have been a part of the program for over 11 years now. And, and fast forward to today, we mentor over 250 students a year at two high schools in Richmond, and we provide them with academic counseling and tutoring, mentoring, college application services, uh, we'll, we'll do college tours, and then we also uh, provide them scholarships through our program, and also we assist them in, in applying for uh, scholarships uh, you know, to, to help subsidize the difference. And so, uh, and, and you know, in, in I love this other story in, in regards to you deserve to learn because you know, several years doing College is Real really opened up my perspective on there's so many kids out there that are incredibly smart, just didn't have the same opportunities that that maybe uh, myself and others have had, and um, and you know we all we felt like everyone should have the opportunity to go to college, especially if they they work hard and are ethical and good attitude. And so, uh, in during the downturn, my twin sister and I coincidentally both lost our jobs at the same time, and and I remember thinking, wow, this is. This is actually going to be fun because when in our adult lives we're going to be able to hang out again, and 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 uh, and so we immediately moved in together, and and we decided that we were going to start a foundation, and and this was a perfect opportunity because one of the women that I was mentoring was an honor student. She got into UC Santa Barbara and several other UCs, but just didn't have the um, could not get the scholarships for various reasons, and so we ended up starting this program and and raising money, and, and we're able to put her through college after four years, and, and uh, it really made an impact on her life. and And she's now, you know, since graduated a while ago, and and growing in her career, and now giving back. And you know, I think the lesson here is we could have easily felt sorry for ourselves, but instead took advantage of our time together. And, and made it positive and decided to give back and, and we were able to impact a young girl's life. That's amazing, actually. And I know, how many, how many people have been through the program today? You go back to the beginning. Oh, goodness. Um, I should know that number. <laughs> but I, we've got, well, it's 250 a year on average, and we've had about 200 in college or gradu- graduate thus far. Uh, uh, so, amazing. yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, and, we, and we're looking really to amazing. grow. <laughs> well, it's good. Well, thank you for thank you for sharing. So, let me let me shift gears a little bit chronologically, and Mary Lee, I want to go back now when you're graduating from university, kind of the the choice you made of where to go, and if you could talk for a little bit actually about that, sort of what happened in those years, and then ultimately um, how you met Bill Sanders and sort of the decision process of getting to real estate. So um, as I mentioned, I was married and we had one child when I graduated from college. And um, so we first looked at where my husband was going to get a job. And so he interviewed, we wanted to stay in Ohio, but he interviewed in Cincinnati and Dayton, et cetera. And he got a job first in Dayton. And so I interviewed with Reich's Department Stores, which was a uh, division of Federated, and got an executive trainee uh, position and then started my career there. Uh, My career grew, you know, very nicely in terms of, you know, being from department manager to buyer, et cetera, moving up. And then I got to a point that eight years later I got pregnant with uh, Susan and Sarah and thought I can't really be a buyer anymore because I just didn't want to travel and be away from home. So I made the career choice to stay in stores so that I would be local and not be gone all the time. Um, and so I, I think one of the things that I like to talk to people about is that you know, to have this, some people in their mind feel like they have this path. I never did. I felt like at different moments in my life, 
you know, I, what I did have was the ability to stand back, look at the situation, and make decisions. And, and that kind of held me, you know, to, to be good at what you do, but also help you really think through what your entire life is and not just what one piece of it is. When I, um, I moved around a lot with Macy's Federated and became regional director of stores, my last assignment with them in New York, or I mean in Boston, um, and turned the Jordan Marsh stores into Macy's stores. I had a, my next step with Macy's, if I would have gotten it, because there was somewhat of a glass ceiling, um, was to be director of stores in Macy's New York. I didn't really want to live back in New York again. I had once during my career, and I didn't want a corporate executive job. The girls were seniors in high school. I um, had gotten divorced from my first husband and uh, felt like financially I was in good position and that I could do anything I wanted to do. And if I stayed with Macy's, good chance I would have been an overpaid regional in a market, and that isn't good. Secondly, I would have gotten bored. I already was tired of you know doing the same thing, and I do get bored in situations and like change. So I would have gotten bored. So I just literally prayed, asked God to lead me of where to go, and I thought about possibly teaching college. I had done that when the twins were little, to go back and teach college, to just see what was there. And I got a call from a recruiter who represented Security Capital Group, or Bill Sanders, and said that they were interested in talking to me because he had retail REITs, and he felt that the real estate folks knew a lot about real estate and deals, but nobody thought about how to merchandise a shopping center like you would a store and how to market it, etc. So it took me a while to think through, is that really what I want to do? What do I know about it? Will I be good at it? And then I kind of decided I loved the people, so it was just, you know, what do I have to lose? If the worst thing, and this is another thing I like to share with people, is just not to have fear. There was nothing to lose. If I would have gone there and I would have failed, I could have always gone back into retailing. I was good at it. So I thought, why not? That's what I promised myself I was going to do, and that's what I did. Well, no, it, uh, it obviously went quite well. So let me let me keep down that theme a little bit, but it's also about mentors in your life. Uh, post-college, think about earlier in your career on the retailing side and then on the real estate side. And I have the impression, but I could be totally wrong, at least with Bill Sanders on the real estate side for some period of time played a mentor within your life. But can you just talk about in general you know, who and, and, and some of those people were and what influence they had? Yeah, uh, a couple of people. So first of all, during my retail career, part of my problem in terms of growing to the next step was any females were, who are at a more senior level of management seem to have, in my view, sacrificed their family life for work. And I didn't want to do that. So there was always, geez, should I really try to move up or not? Um, because I don't want to be that person. I like being a woman, and I like having a family. And so I had to think through that, and that wasn't anyone in particular, just kind of a general theme that I worked through it. I found then that um, most of the, the men at senior-level position that I worked with, they actually had pictures of their kids around. They were family-oriented. They, they were really nice guys, and I was like, well, why can they do it, and I can't do it. So I kind of picked mentors. And um, the one gentleman, his name was Jim Carragher, and he was the president of uh, Burdines at the time, and he, he actually saw things in me. I guess I didn't see in myself, but I didn't have a strong financial background. So he would bring me in his office an hour earlier than everybody else on Monday and sit and teach me the terms, what they meant, how to calculate things, because I truly had no idea. Um, I would say he was absolutely a mentor. And then Mike Ullman, who was uh, chairman of Macy's New York, and when I went back with Macy's, he absolutely kind of guided me through my career, gave me great advice, 
and I have such a great deal of respect for him. And then Bill Sanders, I think, had a vision of what kind of person he wanted to help run his retail REITs. And so what they did, it was really amazing for 18 months. I was in the office in Chicago, but I went on investor meetings with them, went to you know, New York Stock Exchange, learned all about the capital market side, uh, sat on the boards of the two retail REITs who were going to merge, and learned the business, learned the people. So we were able to, when I, um, when I stepped up and got the job, I, uh, we were able to, I knew everything and everybody, and it was a really successful merger. And so, you know, there have been key people. And then just Hap was a wonderful mentor, believed in me, supported me. I mean, I just I can't say that anybody hasn't. I've just been very fortunate. So, Susan, let me, let me switch gears onto, onto your side. And so uh, going back in history, so you graduated from Northeastern uh, with a dual degree and a minor. I didn't catch that piece that you you'd shared earlier, which is equally amazing. And then from there, you went to, I think, Kimco, actually. So I'd love to understand your thought process around that. And then obviously, what influence your, your mom did or did not have relative to getting into real estate. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there was a brief period when I graduated college, and it was actually... Uh, I'm a planner, so I, I had the job probably six months before I graduated my undergrad. But I uh, really chased uh, the opportunity to work at, at GE in their corporate leadership program, and uh, and you know wanted to get into the real estate industry. I had decided at that point that was something I was very passionate about. Uh, you know, through talking to my mother and 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 just you know it's. All of her, her whole career, I've been intrigued with. Where we've joined her at Burdines or, or Macy's or Jordan Marsh, and and um, and and just understood how to merchandise and how retailers uh, put certain departments on on different floors and why. And so it was always very interesting to me. And and so had just as much interest in the real estate industry. And I, I found it um, uh, just became very natural and and. It challenged me because you learn something new every day, and I was excited to go into work uh, and 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 really uh, be presented with a new challenge. So that's kind of why I decided to get into real estate. But when I graduated, hey Susan, college, can I say one quick thing, honey? Sure. Is that um, one of the things? Tell them the story about me working and how many hours in retailing versus real estate, and how that affected your decision. It's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I thought this might be too transparent, no, uh, and, no. and, but it was, you know, mom worked seven days a week growing up through childhood. And, but what was great about that is she could bring us into work uh, sometimes on the weekends, and it was actually a blast, especially for my twin sister and I, because it was a giant playground for us. And, um, but w- but I, but you know, she would work holidays and and weekends, and it was really her life, her earlier point. And when she transitioned into real estate, she worked just as hard, but she got weekends off and and seemed to be a lot happier and have balance, and and uh, and frankly made a lot more money. And so, uh, you know, not only did I have interest in, in real estate. I thought, well, what, well, this seems like a really good uh, combo. <laughs> and and uh, so it was just another another checkbox on, on why real estate was the right path for me. So let's, let's go down that theme because you both have um, brought up what I think is a very important point. And um, as we know too often, which is wrong, we, we rarely ask men about how they balance the various aspects of their lives. For some reason, that question always gets asked to women, and some of that's obvious reason, some's not. Um, but I have to ask, actually, I mean, part, part of the career choice you made was about life balance. But just talk about in general how you manage the different aspects of it, both being mothers with families and, and demanding careers. Why don't you start, Susan, I'll and I'll finish. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I 
obviously my mother is, is, has been my number one mentor in life. And I remember one of her speeches, and I think I was in my early 20s attending this and just listening to her. And it was at a women's conference, and women kind of said to her, you know, gosh, how in the world were you able to be such a great mom and have these three successful daughters and, and also just be so advanced in your career? And, and, you know, what's the perfect, um, you know, balance or, or, or way to do it? And, and, you know, I remember her saying that, that there isn't really a perfect way. And, but you need to kind of make your priorities really crystal clear, both what you can achieve at home and at work, and, 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 and set realistic goals in, in kind of both categories because you can't be good at everything. And, and I remember thinking that. And, and when I had my first child, I... I keep playing that in the back of my head of of and so I work hard at you know setting my goals at work of what I want to accomplish and but being realistic with them coupled with setting the exact same goals at home and and cuz you know having work life balance is important and it's healthy and I think you're more productive when you when you have that and and so I haven't necessarily been successful every single job that I've done and but it's something that I've constantly reminded myself because of the advice that that my mom has has given me and I I think I'm doing a, a good job and and I would say Scott is that um uh, compartmentalizing my life was important so when I was at work I was at work when I was at home I was at home now it was easier then because we just didn't have the technology. So I think it is a much more difficult challenge today with this generation because technology, you can be connected at work all the time or you can be connected at home all the time and, and you're you know, moment by moment picking your priorities. So I, I don't take that lightly. I think it's a challenge and I think it's something that people should be studying and, and try to help people find better balance. But with that said, when I it was, you know, doing both with young children and that, um, I took breaks from my career. I stayed home two years with the twins because, honestly, that's what I needed to do. And then I came back. So I think, for me, it was just, it you know, kind of goes back to the same old philosophy, and Susan reiterated it. It's just be happy. Find out what makes you happy. Um, and do that and do it well. And my priorities were my family and my job. Now, I will tell you, you know, speaking of regrets, I didn't take care of myself physically as well as I should have during those years. And in hindsight, I, you know, I was brought up in Ohio and nobody exercised and all that. Now, over the last 20 years, I have and really try to take care of my fitness and realizing the importance of that. So my focus was family work. I didn't socialize. I didn't belong to clubs. I didn't do all these extra things because I felt like that's all I could do and do well. And um, and I still feel like today that's kind of where I'm at in my life is what, what do you want to do? How do you want to spend your time? What do you have to do? And um, just do it well, but, but don't take on too much. And I think there's such a temptation now to take on way too much. So it all makes sense. I'm, I have four kids, and they're probably all listen to this, and I'm horrendous, I think, at uh, life balance, but constantly fighting to be better at it. But I, I want to ask something that's unique that I haven't had a chance before to ask, and it's, you know, the, I've been doing these podcasts for about a year, and uh, both of you are the first women that I've had the opportunity to podcast with, which I'm thankful for, and actually I've got Jody McLean after this and, okay. and some others. But the question I want to ask is about the unique challenges as women within real estate within the space and, and how that impacts you or doesn't impact you or, or you know, what you see might be right or wrong or however the right way to word it and, and how you navigate your way through it. So I, I would say... You know, you're talking to a different generation because I'm 67, so we'll look at that. I, um, I think I did definitely have challenges 
in terms of being a female, whether it was retail or real estate, and being underestimated many times that I was blonde, I was small, and it was like, oh, you know, and she's cute and she's nice and she's such a good worker, you know. And, and so what I did is um, as the years went on and I matured, I learned to kind of ignore that attitude and take the view that there is nothing I can do about the fact that I'm a woman and I absolutely love my life and the fact that I'm a woman. And so when you kind of take away that reason, you go, well, if somebody doesn't want me because I'm a woman, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm just going to do the best job I can. Now, it took me years to get there um, because I do feel at times, you know, you were overlooked, you weren't taken seriously. But I think that somehow some of it is how you handle it yourself and some of it's cultural. There was a group of uh, executives at Burdines that every Friday night they would go out and have a drink. And I was at the same level as all of them but was never invited. So now deep down did I want to go have a drink on Friday night? Not at all. I wanted to go home. So it wasn't like I it was something I wanted to do. But I didn't think it was right I wasn't invited. It should have been my choice to say no. And I got along with all of them, so it wasn't a personal thing. And one of the guys that I respect and appreciate said, it's because you're a woman, and we can't invite women out because our wives will have a fit. And so that's why you're not invited. So I'm not going to change that, but what I did do is that any kind of company events, I spent time with their wives. Got to know them, talk about my kids, they got to know my family. So one is I like their wives as much or more than I like the husbands. So that changed somewhat of the dynamics. Um, And then I think the other thing I did is then I started scheduling lunch with a couple of these guys. Like every week I'd take two and then another two. And we'd get talking about, like men do in the golf course, and we'd have those conversations. So I, but I had to think about it, and I had to work at it. Uh, but thank God, the one guy, Mike Osborne, was honest with me and explained why I wasn't invited, because you would have, you know, that's where you can get in kind of a downward cycle and think, oh, my gosh, you know, what's wrong? They don't like me, blah, 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 and all that stuff that had nothing to do with any of that. And what about just the environment today, actually, Mary Lou? Is it is it better? Is it somewhat better, a lot better? It's slow. I think Susan could probably speak to it more now. But, you know, literally when I took my job at Regency, there were some of the guys who goes, I cannot work for a woman. And the, But fortunately, that goes down to what do I have to lose? I took the job. Either I did a good job or I didn't do a good job. And being a female was nothing I couldn't control. And everyone over a couple-year time period, so it wasn't right away, said, we are so sorry. We were so wrong. We just weren't brought up this way, and we didn't know. And I'm like, it's fine. And now I mentor still a lot of those guys. Um, so it's changed, but it may it's not changed fast enough, and Susan can speak more to things that haven't changed or have. Great. Susan, what are your thoughts? So, you know, it, I actually think it's certainly gotten better. And the younger generation, it feels as if they expect to see a woman in, in a top role these days. Uh, and I don't think that was the case. Uh, when when my mother, uh, uh, you know, was was in her 30s and 40s, and 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 same with my peer group, we all respect each other. We're able to develop those deep relationships, or or go out for a glass of wine, and it just seems um, more common. And so I think it has changed in in that regard. But with the older generation, I think probably that still exists, and, and it's been the case in my 15-plus years in the industry, but I had the benefit of my mom giving me her perspective and not take, because you normally want to say, okay, what's wrong? What can I do better? Uh, you know, am I doing something or, you know, that's causing them not to invite me out? And And it's just that 
it, it's it's exactly what she said is just you know there isn't that level of comfort to to bring me to you know college football games or out golfing or or a you know, glass of wine after after work to to catch up on some you know some items that we need to cover and and so I think with the older generation is where I had to work a little differently on those relationships and and you know invite them out to lunch or when given the opportunity to get to know their spouses so they have a level of comfort uh, and 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 also as I've advanced in my career I've set the tone and 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 make an effort to invite everyone men or women when I'm hosting an event or or doing something after work and and because I'm hoping as time goes on this will be less of an issue in our industry but I've actually seen it got uh, you know tremendously better uh you know compared to to my mother and and that's been at at all the companies I've I've been at consistently Well thank you both for sharing and I think you would both agree that one area where I think still is probably more problematic than others is going to be at the board level. Um, and having said that, Mary Lou, obviously you've broken and continue to break barriers on that front. And I, I want to ask a different type of question, though, which is about there's a lot going on right now, certainly in the retail space. And obviously I'm not asking anything specific about any one board that you're on. But I'd love to understand just briefly sort of demands and challenges today as a board member. It's way different than it was just several years ago. But then you compound the current retail environment. I can't even imagine, actually. So um, can you share your thoughts? Yeah. I, you know, the board position, some of the things have not changed. You know, the job of a, a board member is to uh, a, uh, help approve and help management think through their uh, strategic plan over the next three to five years. So that has been the way it's been in, in continues. Um, the second is to make sure that uh, we have a good succession planning process with management, and that is a key part of our job, and that has always been and continues. Where I think it's changed a lot is certainly shareholder activism and the fact that shareholders no longer sit by, rightly so, um, and just accept whatever management decides is right and the board approves. I think there's certainly a fight against long-term board members, lack of independent board members, um, and, and the whole thought process, at least when I was there, is to balance not only what you think is best for our business and company, but also what is best for our shareholders, both short-term and long-term. And sometimes those objectives aren't as transparent as you're, because you're unable to communicate some of these with them. But I think it is um, it's a lot more pressure. You get voted in every year or not. Um, you know that if you make bad decisions for the shareholders, there's going to be voices out there, and ISS definitely is one of them. But, um, and I think overall, I really think it's all very, very, very good. But it does put a lot more pressure. It isn't easy, but it, you know, there's no complacency. There's no more, at least the boards I'm on, good old boy boards, where everybody's been there for 20 years and and just agrees with management. I would say that uh, the two boards I can talk about is GGP and that it's a very diverse board. Uh, we have two new board members that came on a year ago, both females, one Asian, um, uh, she's from Canada, and uh, one was a retailer. So I think seeing that has definitely made a significant change. And Regency has an unbelievable succession a planning for boards of both long-term board members and rolling off the board, bringing in more diverse candidates as we just put two women on our board this year and uh, or will in, in May. And so it is everybody's working at it. And, and I think the diversity aspect has been so important and that recruiters are actually have lists of diverse candidates, not only in skill sets but in gender and race. 
and um, it's growing, it's, it's changing, and we're getting pressure from the shareholders to change faster than probably most boards would without that pressure. So I think it's wonderful. Thanks, fantastic. Well, we, we just have a few more minutes left, and I actually have one question for um, each of you. And Susan, I want to start with you. So if you were going to give advice to your younger self, let's say you just graduated from college or around that time frame, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I think it's really important, and I think my mom alluded or said it earlier, that really not have fear. Be yourself. Share your ideas. Even if you're 21 years old and brand new in a, in a company or industry, it's, I think folks don't realize how open the leaders are to hearing young and new ideas from a different generation. And if you leave your fear at the door, speak up. Don't worry about failing. It, you will see your ideas get implemented, and and you know the, your contribution to the company you're with will be significant. And it's fun, and it feels good, and um, it it it's great to just not have the fear and be yourself. That's great. Advice. So Mary Lou, I have to ask you now if you were giving advice to your younger self or your daughter that happened to be on the phone, what, uh, what advice would you give her? I think the most, um, I agree with Susan 100%, no fear of failure because everything, if you've got good values that's important to you, can't be taken away. So if you can just go back and go, nobody can take my health, they can't take my family, they can't take the love, they can't take my faith, all the important things to you that people can't take away, then really what are you afraid of? So I think that is a process. The second thing that I think is the most important thing that I did but didn't know I was doing consciously, and as, in, you know, as I've grown older, I, I look back on it, is know yourself. Be honest with yourself. What are you good at? What are you bad at? What makes you happy? What don't you like doing? And I think it's a real good checkpoint for everybody in their career saying, you know, I'm really good at this, but I'm really not good at this but I like this, but I don't like this. Because sometimes you can be good at something, but not really like it. Like, you know, I could sit in a desk and write orders and stuff as a buyer, but I hated sitting at a desk doing that. I like being out with the people and leading and managing. So I would say as you are in your career, not only your current job, but people who are supervising you, do you want that job? Can you do it? Are you smart enough? Do you want to work that hard? What do you have to sacrifice at home? And I did that kind of instinctively all through my career and didn't really realize I was doing it until I got older and started teaching more and mentoring and went, yeah, I did do that every time. Well, that's also great advice. So I want to wish you both Happy Mother's Day. I can't thank you again enough for doing this podcast with me. I hope our paths cross again and, and wish you the best. Thank you so much. I'm really flattered that you asked us, and I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. This was a lot of fun. Great. Thank you.